When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, your weekly dose of sanity, the prevailing narrative, and this is an introduction to what I guess you could call a two-part episode, two separate chats, which I will be releasing as two separate episodes, um, but I think they go together, pair together very nicely, and this will be the intro to both of them, so if you're listening to one, please go ahead and listen to the other. Um, one is a discussion with Atlantic writer Connor Friedersdorf. His uh, recent piece in The Atlantic, the DEI industry needs to check his privilege. Obviously, the discussion on the topic is diversity, equity, and inclusion. The other episode and chat will be... Uh, with Haley Kennington. She writes on the Wrong Speak Publishing Substack, and she had a great piece recently, Corporate Blackmail, ESG and the Woke Social Credit Score System. ESG is something that's been in the news and in the online discussion quite a bit recently. And so why I think these two uh, issues go together so well, or unfortunately well, um, is they both are indicative of two unfortunate dynamics in modern American life. One is the over-bureaucratization of everything, and two is the use of benign or admirable or honorable language to mask and hide and launder more nefarious and, and counterproductive activities and programs, which is what I think is happening with both DEI and ESG. Uh, okay, so DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, diversity has been around for a while, right? Or the notion that institutions, whether corporate America, hiring, college, anywhere where there's some sort of um, admissions process, uh, that you know that whoever's doing the admitting should be on the lookout for diversity, right? That people, uh, no matter their demographic category or their immutable characteristics, that their skills, abilities should be recognized and honored, and there should be a place for everybody there. And, and companies and schools should try to have diverse student bodies, diverse workforces. Obviously, there's some argument about what that means, but you know, uh, diversity, once again, been around for a minute or two. Equity and inclusion. Where did equity come from? It came out of nowhere. We used to talk about equality, and equality was not really something that was included in, you know, in corporate policy and corporate governance policy, right? Or, or college governance policy it was kind of like, hey, this is a principle everyone should be trying to do the right thing at all times. Um, but in America, we're pretty soundly grounded in equality of opportunity um, as opposed to equality of outcome. And we fought those battles over the course of the 20th century, contrasting our capitalist system with the communist egalitarian system and central planning system uh, for many decades. We see which one won out. And then this equality shifts to equity at lightning speed. And all of a sudden, who talked about equity other other than as a description of owning, you know, having ownership in private enterprises or companies before about 2016, 17? But all of a sudden, this is now part of a, a pro, part of a project and part of principles that are now supposed to govern nearly every major corporation and most non-major corporations in America. Right? Equity is simply the whitewashing of equality of outcome. That's what it's there to to drive forward. That we are supposed to try to find ways to make everything equal. 
uh, an equality of results. And we all know that people have different skills, different talents, different abilities, and put in different efforts. And I don't know how equal, uh, equity got in there. Um, inclusion. I, I think also people are wondering what the hell uh, is is inclusion and what's it doing in there and obviously people have a variety uh, of takes on it and can sometimes explain it away as something just you know wanting to make everybody feel welcome well okay is that necessarily part of the experience in the workforce of an employment situation or going to a school uh, I, couldn't that be handled by just making sure people don't abuse each other or just operate with basic sense of decorum and respect for each other but no this now has to be essentially pr- commodified and bureaucratized right it has to be something that a, a, bure, a bureaucrat or an executive that you have to hire someone to implement you can't just make sure that people are acting you can't just have hr making sure that nobody's being abusive or, or violating uh, violating company policy you now have to have someone teaching everybody how to make everybody else feel included and that's kind of childish is it not that really is a little bit more akin to something that you would hear about in elementary school in, in kindergarten let's have little exercises teaching people how to treat each other I mean, that's something you do with children once people get to the point of adulthood you understand that they're going to have various missives hostilities um that things get sloppy and interpersonal dynamics between people and you know that a company is going to is not always not every company can be everything to everyone somewhat is going to be somewhat exclusionary just like a hiring process is exclusionary everybody who's not up to the task everybody's not up to the qualifications is going to get excluded so it's very strange that inclusion seems to now be a bureaucratically mandated principle of corporate america and also of American higher education. I mean, just looking at, at looking at some of what um, is part of the inclusion prong of a diversity, equity, and inclusion program, um, a day of expression that employers should have a day of expression so all their employees uh, have an opportunity to express their passion for a social justice cause that is important to them. I, this is this is appropriate in the workplace. I and mean, this this is for children. No. This is not I mean, listen, if there's some if there's a particular social justice movement that is specifically applicable or relevant to a company's business, then that's a different story. But that's not those boundaries are not here. The rationale behind diversity, equity, and inclusion, once again, all three words together, uppercase bureaucratized, is that companies, every company needs to be having something like a day of expression so that everybody, all their employees can can find a way to express themselves in their personal beliefs that have no business in the workplace, right? Other things that are part of DEI programs, um, unconscious bias training, uh, uh, been proven many times over to have no impact whatsoever to, if anything, uh, create more division within the workplace because everyone's just going to understand. Well, I, uh, hold on. Wait a second. You know, I, I make observations just like anybody else. And I try not to be prejudicial or racist based on people's immutable characteristics. But I don't need anybody at an advanced age, you know, once I'm an adult in the workforce to tell me how, how to treat people, you know, with a basic level of respect and humanity. Right. Um, allyship training. What on earth is that supposed to mean? Uh, I think you get the picture here. But, you know, Connor's thesis in his piece on DEI is that in uh, uh, saying that. And, and so one of the reasons why the bureaucratization of this is so insidious is that do you know how much money is now being funneled through this? Do you know how many people are now employed to teach a- as executives or, or consultants in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion to try to implement these programs? 
in corporations. And you got to wonder, is that money being well spent? Are we wasting billions and billions of dollars on funding people who are already in the executive class and just paying diversity, equity, inclusion inst- uh, uh, consultants and instructors $250,000 a year? Meanwhile, there are people who, you know, uh, who are part of the groups that they're supposedly uh, uh, teaching these lessons for that are struggling in working class environments and need some assistance with their material conditions and their personal finances. Uh, are, is our society really allocating funds correctly when we're paying all this money to DEI executives and really screwing over the working class? Class. And that's Connor's thesis, and that's what he and I uh, will discuss. Okay, so getting on to ESG, which I think once again is very much related, but there are some interesting differences. But an interesting parallel, much like with diversity, equity, and inclusion, the diversity piece you can kind of make a case for, right? It's it's been around for a while, and you could say, okay, you know something, this isn't just whistling Dixie. It's not just covering weirder uh, attempts to um, create communalism uh, and treat people like children. Uh, and no, we really should have at least as a principle, maybe not our number one principle, the desire to have a, a diverse workforce or a diverse community, right? That you could justify uh, certainly. Similarly, in, in environment, social, and government, environmental, social, and governance, environmental is one that may be legitimate, right? We should be looking at corporate America that has an impact on the environment and trying to determine which ones have a heavier or more harmful environmental impact and judge. And there should be at least one piece that judges companies based on that. It should certainly not be the sole metric or the primary metric uh, other than maybe for uh, 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 companies that are directly involved in natural resources or toxic waste and things like that. But environmental, yeah, sure, we should maybe be measuring that. That is a measure of ethics. Then social and governance. We start diving into things that are just so subjective. Uh, we're measuring the wrong things. It's why, why you'll see, as I'll describe in a minute, you've got companies that are literally putting out products that are killing people that get higher ESG scores, other companies that don't kill people just because they have a more diverse workforce. An outside organization based purely on a score, judging whether or not they treat their employees well by, you know, whether or not they give away gym memberships or give away free lunch or have a foosball table um, on, uh, you know, in the office. I mean, these things are incredibly hard to quantify, but taking something that we can quantify a little bit better, like environmental scores or environmental impact and lumping it in with social and governance, we've scrambled the whole thing. Just like with diversity, equity, and inclusion, by adding the the EI to the D, we screwed it all up. And just like adding the SG to the E, we've screwed it all up. And to that point and why I think that's the case, another piece uh, uh, from a former guest of mine, Aaron Sabarium, recently wrote in the Washington Free Beacon, how tobacco companies are crushing ESG ratings. Tobacco companies are crushing ESG ratings. Philip Morris, all these companies, either cigarette companies or oil companies, are doing really well in ESG ratings. So uh, if this is the case, if ESG ratings are supposed to measure social credit or measure ethics or measure the magnanimity or how good a company is from a moral, moral or values perspective, maybe the measurement system is off. Maybe the measurement system is off when Philip Morris gets thir- uh, an ESG score that's 37 points higher than Tesla. I mean, Tesla is taking so many gas guzzling cars off the street, but because it doesn't participate in enough uh, kind of peripheral outside diversity programs or doesn't have enough female executives, it has a much lower ESG score than Philip Morris. Do you not see what's off here? Okay, so in my chat with Haley Kennington, ESG scores a lot underlying that. I mean, that that is not the last of the alphabet soup. You've also got CEI, which is kind of a subcategory of ESG. I mean, also, I think a lot of people have gone uh, where, I, where I disagree with Haley, as you'll see in our conversation, um, but I think she come, kind of comes around to agreeing with me a little bit, is that you cannot explain the entirety of corporations embracing social justice or progressive values just by ESG with BlackRock and Vanguard and a couple of big hedge funds and index funds um, pushing ESG. 
ESG scores, right? They're, they're not the only investors in town, right? I mean, most companies, most corporations do not have BlackRock uh, as an investor. They do not invest and hold a 6% stake in every publicly traded company on the face of the planet, right? So clearly, there are a lot of companies or a lot of public, uh, public corporations that are doing stuff in the DEI ESG world or embracing social justice in a manner uh, for reasons beyond just wanting BlackRock and Vanguard um, to reflect flav- favorably upon them. And there's a lot of companies with ESG scores that are low that do incredibly well in the public markets have shown great stock performance for Tesla, for instance. Um, so I, I don't think it's such a one-to-one relationship between companies doing all this woke idiot, engaging in all this woke idiocy and wanting to have ESG scores that are high. Um, I think it's also, it's kind of combined with some of those incentives from the private investor community and the banks um, combined with the current makeup of their mid-level executive classes. I've talked about a lot of times, um, but nevertheless, ESG, once again, a corrupt and useless measurement of corporate ethics, um, environmental, which is what it was originally about. Okay. Once again, I think you could find some justification and plausibility for that, but trying to throw in these completely subjective um, social and governance scores, which are mostly given out by these NGOs and these quasi-governmental quasi-governmental groups that really have no credibility at all. They're stacked with former members of Democratic administrations, whether it be Obama or Joe Biden or whatnot. They don't have any semblance of a neutrality. They're they're there to push a particular political agenda. And really, not that the political agenda is wrong just because it's Democratic, but I'm sorry. It should not be either of the two parties that get to push their political agenda through these kind of, you know, uh, uh, corporate ethics blackmail scores like ESG. So um, once again, diversity, equity, inclusion chat with Connor Friedersdorf, uh, environmental, social and governance, ESG chat with Haley Kennington, um, whichever one you're listening to right now. Once you finish that one up, please go check out the other one. think uh, the two issues are super interesting together. In our continued study of corporate wokery, why corporations historically motivated strictly by profit motive and generally reflecting conservative values have taken an abrupt turn over the past decade embracing social progressive causes. Today we look at ESG scores. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance, ostensibly a measurement of corporate ethics, but appears to have developed into something far far more pernicious. With us today is journalist Haley Kennington to discuss a recent piece, Corporate Blackmail, ESG, and the Woke Social Credit Score System. Haley, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. For sure. So let's start at the top. Um, the notion of a social credit score. Um, that's generally in in common parlance and discourse uh, uh, applied to um, individuals. And I guess ESG scores would be one of the various offshoots of social credit scores for corporations. But maybe you can give us a little overview on the notion of social credit scores and, and, and it's pract- how it's being practically applied, you know, in some say in the United States, but mostly uh, in China and some other uh, foreign nations. Yeah, well, so yeah, most people are probably familiar with it um, from hearing, you know, China has already implemented that. I think it's probably going to come here quicker than we realize. And honestly, this is a good way to to bring this in and to sort of uh, break it in slowly <laughs> to Americans. But in this case, ESG, um, you know, this is a more of a corporate uh, credit score. Um, and it's it's sort of split up to you know environmental, social, and governance, or uh, uh, corporate corporative governance. But I think you know the the biggest part of it is that with corporations, none of them some may focus on the environmental side of it. So that might be climate you know climate change and and gas emissions and things like that. But the social uh, side of it, I think, is where things get a little hairy. Um, yeah. 
you know, they're able to apply different, whatever that might mean for them, right? So whatever they think is morally uh, ethical, maybe what they want to push. Um, and that's sort of what my piece focuses on is the LGBTQ um, push that we've seen in the last several years. I think it's sort of mm-hmm. been a a big thing recently. So it's it's more of almost like a trend, you know, um, and I, I, I think they'll probably fall out of this because we're seeing a lot of backlash from, you know, uh, consumers who aren't interested in that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. So corporations, you know, but with them, it's more about the investors. They're not doing any of the the social stuff that they are pushing for the consumer base or even their own base. This is more about, uh, you know, pleasing the investors and, and their mm-hmm. bottom line. Well, And so this these ESG scores, we'll get to more specifics about what they actually are in just a moment. But um, they're supposed to measure generally and they originated strictly around uh, environmental concerns. So uh, a corporations and their businesses, environmental impact, social and governance on how well workers are treated um, and whether or not uh, whether or not a company gives back to the community. It's charitable, uh, charitable endeavors and how the companies govern themselves. But as you mentioned, in particular with the LGBTQ uh, initiatives, it's kind of odd what portion, you know, how significant a share of the ESG initiatives are focused on that one particular issue um, and is one of the many indicators of how, you know, ESG seems to have strayed um, from its its initial mm-hmm. uh, initial objectives or is at least uh, uh, measuring metrics that really have no relevance to the business or relevance to uh, actual um, uh, to actual environmental, social or governance concerns. Um, why don't we why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the organizations that are be, that are behind uh, ESG scores uh, and some of them that I've seen are the Human Rights Campaign, um, the United Nations. Um, a lot of these organizations are where the the ESG uh, criteria and instructions seem to emanate from. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting, actually, because it's not just from one one place. Some of these places can self-report. Yeah, some can self-report. So there's not like, yes, there's the the main ESG that's sort of based around, um, well, the the C, what is it? Uh, CEI score that's human rights campaign. CEI is the corporate equality index, which I guess is a subcategory uh-huh. of ESG. Right, right. So that's that's the human rights campaigns um, sort of I, I say in my piece, you know, it's like the baby brother to the ESG. Mm-hmm. That's their scoring system. Um, but there are others. Um, you know, like I said, some some can self-report. There's people that are wanting to implement just a centralized where, you know, they you report into this one system and they'll mm-hmm. run it. So uh, point being, the scores can be all over the place. Sometimes it's a hundred percent that you're trying to aim for. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a twenty percent, you know, point system. So it depends on uh, the corporations and who we're talking about. So there's a, a number of different measurement systems. They seem this ESG seems to all follow a similar trajectory that a bunch of co- you know whether it's the UN uh, or kind of another quasi governmental governmental NGO like the Human Rights Campaign, um, they they kind of put something out there into the universe, some sort of charter or or state mission statement, and then a bunch of corporations go sign on to that charter or mission statement um, and then commit to advancing the cause co- whatever cause is behind that charter mission statement. Then they commit to establishing metrics, which are then used to monitor progress. Um, And then those metrics, yes, the ESG score, I guess, could be... the the ESG score and various ESG scores subscores like the uh, long term care equality index or the gender equality index are then used as the measurement measurement tools for this stuff. I mean, could you tell us a little bit more about how the scores are conceived of and how they're measured? 
Well, that's that's a good question. Again, there's when I started this, I had no idea that it was going to branch off into this huge web with all these different yep. data points and all these different like it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So mm-hmm. with the I'll, I'll focus on the human rights campaign with it. Um, yes, they've got the uh, their CEI. They've got the the LEI, like you said. There's there's one for cities. There's one for um, uh, retirement homes. Is the LEI one? There's there's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it breaks up to where it's schools. It's and actually, I, when I was researching this, I found out there's something called welcoming schools that mm-hmm. I never heard of, but it's been implemented for a, I think a little bit over a decade now. Mm-hmm. Um, so with each of these, they have different standards and they have different, um, you know, one might be how you treat, uh, you know, your employees or how many, uh, as far as like DEI scores, another acronym. Um, For instance, you know, I've seen I've seen criteria from um, whether or not you allow workers to be unionized. Right. Um, so, so there's let's just back up once again on the this all started on the this all started environmentally. Originally, it was really just E, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could you could figure that um, environmental impact is something that's somewhat tangible and measurable and for corporations corporations are in the the business of producing things and production causes has environmental impacts and for a long time now um, people have been focused on uh, uh, measuring which companies are treating the environment or or, or are acting ethically in terms of their impact on the environment right so um, for instance you know are you dumping toxic waste are you Mm -hmm. cutting down too many trees do you have a high carbon footprint you know you could you could Say have your different opinions on whether or not, uh, you know what what is what should be the measurement criteria for you know what is good and what is bad or what is uh, what is something that we can stomach and what's something we can't. However, it, it there was pretty clearly a a link and a connection between the, the things being measured and the ultimate objective. Um, on the social and governance uh, prongs of this, I mean, it seems like what's being used for for judging whether or not a company scores high on and criteria for for you know social impact and, and quality governance I mean seem completely uh, uh, off the rails I mean that's where we get into a lot of the LGBTQ policies and, and whether or not you're providing certain benefits for uh, LGBTQ partners, um, whether or not you're providing certain health care um, in terms of gender dysphoria, things of that nature. I mean, and, and then obviously the gender uh, equality index, I mean, seems very straightforward and, and pretty much, you know, you're you're judging a corporation just based on whether or not they hire lots of women or hire lots of women for executive positions or have any women on the board. And right. you start wondering whether or not the criteria, you know, the what is being measured um, uh, what is being measured is really indicative of the health of an organization and their social impact. Would that be correct? I would think so. Yeah. And it, what's weird? Well, what's weird about it is that these are all just moral things. So who who decides what is the moral, you know, uh, center for that? Like if, if it's mm. something, if it's to me, it's more of this virtual virtue signaling. Mm. You know, they want to. Um, and for investors too, this is their way of saying, "Look, I'm doing something good. I'm going to put my money behind this, you know, and this is a good cause." Which, to your point, yes, environmental. I think most people could get behind, and that's something that's at least measurable. Mm-hmm. But with this, you know, they sort of set the standards where they want, and and it's mm-hmm. up to these corporations to either fall in line. And what's bad about it is a lot of these, you know, they get deductions if they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they don't fall in line with certain. Um, when you say deduction, deductions from their score. Yes. Sorry. Deductions from their score. And like I said, there's different scoring systems. So it depends on what we're talking about. But for a Mm -hmm. lot of them, you know, if if they aren't 
fully in line uh, with the credit scoring system, then they can dock points. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's not what investors want. Investors aren't going to like I think was it um, Tesla that was in the top three or the top five last year in environmental uh, as mm-hmm. far as the ESG scores go. But he failed on uh, social and governance. So, because- so this is that's interesting that you mentioned Tesla because it was uh, that was highlighted in another piece on this topic today written uh, by oh. another uh, writer that I'm a big fan of who's been on on here a couple times named Arian Aaron Sabarium. Um, and he was contrasting how Tesla, Tesla's ESG scores with the ESG scores of tobacco companies. And it's just incredible. If you wanted to give the example, <laughs> the case study on, on what a fraud ESG is, on how it's not measuring actual impact and harmful effects, and right. just based on these kind of um, uh, the these kind of diversity identity-based signals, and this piece would really do it. It was in the Washington Free Beacon. It was called How Tobacco Companies Are Crushing ESG Ratings. Essentially, it contrasted um, uh, the ESG ratings of Philip Morris, which were very high, with Tesla, which are very low. And then you're looking at this and, and figuring, well, wait a second, c- cigarettes are literally killing people. Right. I mean, it might be the the product, the consumer product that kills more people than anything else, and it, it it's getting seemingly off the hook because they engage in all this hollow uh, pageantry around. Uh, around gender equality, it's that they they got a higher uh, Philip Morris got a higher ESG score than uh, Tesla because they have more female female executives. <laughs> so it's I guess it's better that you're you're putting out a product that's giving people lung cancer as long as it's female executives who are doing it. Yeah, I mean it's wild. That's what I mean. Like so, it's so all over the place, you know. And mm. I don't I don't know. <laughs> It, it really I don't know how much longer it's going to last, really, because I think a lot of a lot of this is getting a lot of pushback, you know, and I think with, you know, that's a really good example. Actually, you would think, you know, that obviously Tesla is better for the environment because of their, you know, their vehicles. But and mm-hmm. I, I don't know, it just seems to me like this is a lot of vir- virtue signaling. And it makes me wonder. It's such a small percentage of the population that at, in this particular case uh, with the LGBTQ um, it's such a small percentage of people. It, it, I can't imagine those people being able to pull the weight. Like if everybody drops back, you know, certainly there's not going to be enough people that are going to be able to buy the product to keep this afloat. I mean, I feel like it's it's a trend, right? Like then what is the next trend that they're going to go on to? And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. I hesitate. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Kate and wondering, okay, wait a second, and trying to to uh, establish causality of why have corporations adopted so many progressive liberal causes over the past decade? 
Right. I hesitate to put too much on ESG and and, I, and DEI, um, and I factor this, or at least that the, the financial consequences or the fact that you know a BlackRock or a Goldman Sachs might be pushing some of this stuff, I think is one factor. But I, I hesitate to ascribe everything to it because. I, it, these these companies themselves don't seem that committed to it. Like you'll hear right. a Larry Fink of BlackRock. Um, there was a, vi a video by Larry Fink. He was the CEO of BlackRock, and uh, it's from 2017 even. Um, and you know he mentions that we're going to force behavior to increase diversity. Essentially, mm -hmm. that you know BlackRock is going to uh, exert its financial leverage as an investor, as an activist shareholder, uh, in order to motivate and incentivize portfolio companies, even non-portfolio companies. Um, to uh, to you know, to uh, to essentially take action that would be in line with e ESG standards, and one of those is clearly diversity. Um, mm -hmm. however, that's not the you know having BlackRock as an investor is not the only financial metric a corporation is looking for, right? I mean, if you go and look at you know some of the the recent goings on with Bud Light and Target and whatnot, if your earnings drop. You know, you, you could you could be financially incentivized to want to placate large institutional shareholders like a BlackRock, but you're also at the end of the day, you got to sell stuff to people, right? right? So if you're doing things that that work against those purposes, um, you you may be the the idea that these are all rational economic and financial decisions um, really start it, that that's unsupported because these corporations may want you know they may be incentivized on the one hand to placate a BlackRock or a Vanguard or a State Street or the other big institutional investors but those aren't their only investors. Right. right. Um, you're going if you have a negative impact to your bottom line, it's not going to matter that, you know, you you might get uh, that the BlackRock CEO might pay lip service or they might send out a press release talking about how proud they are of your diversity numbers. You know, these this is all I guess my point being these, this is all a mishmash of of um, of motives, rationales, mm -hmm. incentives, disincentives and whatnot. So when people say that the only reason that these corporations are acting in this manner is because of ESG, I hesitate to put give it give it that much weight it definitely seems to be a factor not sure. necessarily the factor would you agree with sure. that yeah definitely and this is fairly new i mean esj's it's been around for over a decade now but really implemented and we just started hearing about it a couple years ago mm -hmm. um but yeah I do, I do agree with you and that's why it leads me to you know as i'm digging through all this stuff and it, i found out okay well it's the wef it's the un so then mm -hmm. when you start looking into what their you know long-term goals are and stuff it, for me it starts to make a little bit more sense because mm -hmm. I, you know, as as far as the the dollar, you know, and where that stands right now, I don't know if this is just like a long term uh, mm -hmm. way of crashing our dollar, or if this is a way. I, I don't see a way that this is ever going to be sustained because there is no. Uh, the metrics well, because are it does see, it, it it does seem to work against uh, uh, your baseline financial concerns. Sure. Which is why I postulate that this is really a cult, an, a, a corporate culture item, and this is really not entirely, but but a big portion of this is just being driven by the nature of the people who now work at these companies. That thirty years ago, the people that worked at these companies, even if they came with fancy Ivy League degrees or, or other uh, recent degrees, and you know, uh, someone who just got a marketing degree from whether it be an Ivy League school or a. a a school like Vanderbilt or Emory or George Washington or Wisconsin or God knows what, while, while their education might be, have been a little more liberal, they weren't so dedicated to these social causes. So yeah. you have people working at these, and I think we saw this, everybody saw this with Anheuser-Busch 
and Bud Light when the woman who was behind the Dylan Mulvaney um, trans collaboration campaign, uh, you saw that this is the type of person who used to not work at these companies. Right. Mm-hmm. So she this is a person who thinks that it's her corporate and social imperative that there's there's now a a values based necessity for her as a, a corporate marketer, someone who gets to make marketing decisions for a company to go ahead and try to alter, you know, the, the society and, and drive us to more acceptance of various subgroups and whatnot and get involved in these social causes. So, I mean, I think that if, if we were if we were looking at what the motives are of a company to adopt some of this stuff, sure, one of it is to just placate ESG and the ESG scores. Um, but hey, if you get a 78 ESG score instead of a 98, I, I don't think anyone's too concerned about that. I mean, maybe some people are concerned about uh, whether or not they're getting a 98 or an 18, right? right. Um, so I think it's it's being driven culturally by a lot of true believers internally at the company. But when you marry that with the incentives from um, the financial system uh, and, and the ESG scores and some of these big, you know, uh, the, these companies that have been, these organizations that are pseudo-governmental like the World Economic Forum, you know, then you really have, have a recipe for disaster, which is what we're seeing. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, you know, it's funny because you hear the the saying, go woke, go broke, but it's mm-hmm. almost the opposite with this. You know, if you yeah. don't, you know, if you don't uh, buy into all this and play along, then it's not good for you. And that's what's so strange about it, because I like it's it's sort of taking all of these different things and, and just putting it down to one number. So that's what they look for, you know, and you're aiming for that. But I mean, the consumer themselves. I, I don't care. I mean, yes, you're going to put your money where you, f- you know, you feel like your morals and your values align with the company. But mm-hmm. when the companies that you trust and love and have known for all these years, then when this is the game that they're playing and all of a sudden, you know, uh, they're selling their souls basically to to try to keep up with this credit score. I mean, where does that mm-hmm. lead? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a, something else that a lot of parents, well, you're seeing it right now that a lot of parents that want to be that that don't want to take an active stand against pride month or the gay community and don't really would would be more than happy to uh, allow the gay community to do whatever they would like and you know to to let them live their lives unobstructed then have to see this put right in the face of their consumer decisions and and whether we like it or not you know the brands that you've dedicated your buying power to you do want to feel good about um and these parents are kind of um at odds internally and not wanting to go and and be labeled someone or even really you know actively opposed necessarily the gay community but um when these consumer brands that they're that they want that nobody wants to go switch brands nobody wants to go after adopt a new a new consumer behavior if you find a, a store that you're comfortable with a brand that you're comfortable with you want to stick with them um but yeah. now they're starting to see some stuff that's becoming uncomfortable for them um and and it's you know creating a a real tension in that consumer relationship yeah i agree i mean and yeah. that, that's what i mean like where do you go from there to your point you don't want to go out and try to find your favorite whatever favorite shirts and your favorite mm. all of these things take time but yeah and it it makes me wonder because if i i just can't see how that would be worth it I see on their end, but it seems like with all the money that they're going to be losing, and you can take in Anheuser Busch as a perfect example, mm-hmm. um, you know. And what did they do when they realized that their their stocks are crashing and stuff? They came out, they tried to blame it on like the PR people, and they fired uh, yeah, a couple yeah. of different, which happened to be female, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. And did these things, but they totally did. They took zero blame for their decisions. Yeah. They were like, oh, they did it, and then they were like, okay, that didn't work. So let's switch this up a little bit and change the story again. But you mm-hmm. know, I don't know that they'll be able to bounce back. 
back. But, you know, people's memories are so short. Maybe in a few years, people will forgive and they'll they'll buy it again. I know they're going to be putting out a bunch of new, you know, um, more more of their usual, you know, the things that you're used to seeing as far as advertising. Uh, yes, that they're, I mean, and we saw, I think, t- today Starbucks, at least the reports are that Starbucks has removed all uh, Pride Month paraphernalia from yeah, stores. Yeah, saw that. Um, and uh, the, 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 the question being and trying to tie, you know, and tying this back to ESG scores, right, is that, okay, let's say that this happened, right, because it, it ESG scores, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't necessarily seem to be tied to, do I include these groups in my marketing campaigns, right? Because that was one of the other oddities, like ESG scores, you know, might be based on internal policies, diversity numbers, as we've noted internally, Um you know, uh, on uh, anything that has a health impact and you can judge that and measure it. But there wasn't I'm not seeing anything in any of the ESG criteria that said that measures uh, whether or not you have a marketing campaign around Pride Month. Right. Or at least that doesn't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't. If anything, these are like extra points. Right. These are like flex points for a couple of companies maybe that don't hit the bar on a couple of other areas with ESG. Maybe this is a way for them to boost their score up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, could be. It could be. So, I mean, I, I'm sure you've done some research on BlackRock. Um, uh, my view of it, they are a very powerful investor, but they are certainly not all consuming, right? You know, hey, if someone might turn up, uh, BlackRock has been able to flex, the, flex their corporate power on ESG. Um, I think they got home, you know, isn't there a 6.8% owner of Home Depot and they, they caused an internal controversy for Home Depot on re- uh, releasing of a diversity report. Uh, no, actually UPS, Abbott Labs, a couple other companies where BlackRock has been a big institutional investor with a big stake in the, in the company and has flexed some of their muscle to force the companies into uh, aligning with e- ESG principles. Um, but hey, they, they don't, own a big share of every company. Uh, interesting with BlackRock, as I mentioned before, you know there was this clip circ- circulating around the internet recently. Their CEO Larry Fink um, making some pretty bold claims about how they were going to utilize ESG to force companies to um, engage, you know, essentially indulge certain progressive social causes, and that obviously caused a bit of a fuss on the internet. And then they, uh, I think it's interesting to look at their. Uh, their response and their response in a pu- publicly released was this nearly six-year-old clip misconstruing Larry's words about BlackRock's own approach to its employees has been circulating for years on social media and is often taken out of context. As a fiduciary, BlackRock's actions serve one purpose, maximizing long-term financial value for our clients. As an employer, BlackRock seeks to hire employees from a wide range of backgrounds and perspectives because we believe this diversity is critical to li- delivering for our clients in a rapidly changing world. Um, so it looks like when when put to task, when they when this is when they are asked to comment on this and when something is stirred up around, you know, their participation uh, in ESG and they, they want to walk that back. They want to say, hey, you know, we're, we're just a financial firm. We're operating to maximize shareholder value. We're not trying to bully any companies and trying to use these scores as essentially blackmail to get them to change their policies. We just were talking about how we want to have a, a diverse workforce itself. I mean, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if they're the ones that are making the rules, basically, I mean, they're if they're trying to maintain the ESG score, I think they're going to do whatever they need to to make it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I wouldn't trust that at all. I think this has sort of just come off skewed from what it may have started as. And when you've mm-hmm. got these people that have come in and instead of uh, 
pushing for these environmental concerns or even governance you could probably get on board with to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like their way of hyper virtue signaling how morally great they are to mm-hmm. other people. And then so investors want to get on board with that in the same for the same reasons. You know, they see an opportunity to say, OK, yeah, you know, and and slide their money to where, um, I don't know, it's like a feather in their hat sort of thing. But yep, yep, yep. Um but interesting that they do once again, you know, and looking at right. what the backlash is here uh, as these companies are taken to task and, you know, and analyzing, you know, do you go broke if you go woke? And it, se- right. it seemingly hasn't been the case um, over the last five, six years, because it seems like consumers have it, it took them it took them a minute to catch on. And once, you know, now there's been a cascade of controversies. And once that happens, it's tough to stop. Um, but maybe now that some, uh, you know, sunlight is the, the best disinfectant and there's been more visibility on some of these ESG. Uh, and DEI uh, initiatives and campaigns that, you know, that these corporations are going to start taking a a step back from it. Um, And looking once again at where all this stuff emanates from, because it doesn't emanate from the banks and the companies and the corporations. It seems to emanate from the UN and other governments on quasi-governmental organizations that, you know, essentially uh, want to hold themselves out as humanitarian organizations, as as social justice organizations, and then seem to want to get themselves mixed up in corporate America. One of those is the human rights campaign. Uh, and you wrote about them a bit in your piece and mentioning that, um, you know, they their current president, Kelly Robinson, you track her her background. She was an organiz- uh, organizer for Barack Obama, then an executive at Planned Parenthood. Very, very, you know, bluntly boasts of herself as the a black queer woman. Um, the chief of staff, Joni Madison, uh, is, makes no bones about them trying to establish the standards and guidelines for for corporate conduct. Um, interesting how this stuff, how these organizations that are clearly staffed by progressive progressive activists are now making the rules um, that corporate that corporations seemingly think they have to abide by. You could tell us a little bit more about the human rights campaign. Yeah, I did find that very interesting. It, it, not surprising, though, the more I looked at her and, she, you know, she sort of ticked all the boxes for the person that you would probably want to uh, call, you know, be the president of the human rights campaign. But, mm-hmm. yeah, they've they've got their hands in a little bit of everything. Um, it's kind of scary, really, because it is an activist movement before anything else. You know, it is. Um, I mean, I. Everyone deserves human rights. I don't think anybody would argue that. I don't think that anyone feels that it's even um, off kilter for that matter. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if, if she started as an activist, you know, and and it's interesting to see that now that she's in a position where, I mean, to me, more than anything, that's what the entire human rights campaign is. But that now that they have their sort of tentacles and everything there, it's not just about one uh, particular movement even for that matter Mm -hmm. it is all progressive ideas and it is all progressive moves but with school and and the medical community and even the retirement community that's the one Mm -hmm. that sort of shocked me like you know gosh and and then their scoring system What, what did you what did you see in the retirement community well, so it's, I mean, it's just, it's basically the same thing you would put they have for for schools or or you know so a diverse uh, you know workforce and also you know equal rights and representation. Like if you don't have a certain number of you know gay people or if you don't have a certain number of rooms, at, like an old fo- at a retirement yes, community or a, yeah. you know, hospice care, yeah, yes. Yeah. And I, I thought, wow, and you know they've got they have a search engine on their website too, where you can go in and see which you know where these places are in which states. But every year they're adding on new facilities, mm-hmm. and that you know also medical, of course, too. But you know, and it when when 
you have a patient that comes into the emergency room that may be having a heart problem and you've mm-hmm. got to sit there and fiddle with whether or not this person is a male or a female before you can even start, you know, because it's different. You you do different things depending on mm-hmm. what they are. Um, you know, it's it's pr- potentially a life altering uh, problem to sit there and wonder about things like that. So it's it's just really strange to watch because I feel like this this stuff was not a big deal X amount of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like this huge rush for it. But yeah, I mean, they, it's a little bit of everywhere um, with with the human rights campaign and what they're doing. And their scores are are basically the same thing as far as just having you know mm-hmm. representation um, and a certain number of uh, these people who um, fall into different categories that they have set up. But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at some of their, their activity here. And apparently, you know, there was a big impact on John, John Hop, Johns Hopkins medicine. Um, and you know, they got docked big time on their HEI and ESG scores, 25 points in 2018. Um, when they, yeah. they believe that there were a couple of faculty members that mentioned, you know, that there were some, some, that there is, uh, uh, that there's evidence supporting that a lot of people of the LGBTQ community um, have were impact that their sexual orientation or their gender identity might have been caused by sexual abuse during childhood. Even though you see that there's a, a significant correlation between those who have been report yeah. childhood sexual abuse and those who end up not being straight, um, and so they're clearly flexing their muscle there. Yeah, and this is just their opinion. I mean, I, that's not something that they, the entire place should have been docked for, but no, no, they, they did. They, they, yeah, it, it, they'll come after you if you let anyone at your organization even publish something that runs against their orthodoxies. Yep. And we'll have more of the prevailing narrative after the break. Here's another interesting, it, it's that seemingly in all these initiatives, once again, I said I said this at the outset of the conversation. There seems to be this pattern where somebody puts out a charter, mission statement, set of principles, guidelines, whatnot, and then a bunch of these other, a bunch of other participants or corporations or medical facilities then actively join it. They sign on saying, "Yes, we we want we are we are pledging our oath to to honor these principles." I mean, for instance, that HEI um uh score and an initiative that i just mentioned that got johns hopkins in trouble apparently they have 906 active participants within the medical field um you know the un human rights campaign i mean they have a bunch of corporations actively so these corporations very much you know they very often actively sign on to these things yeah they do and that's what's scary because there there's more every year that are adding on because i mean it's it's a competition you know you don't want to be left in the dust so either mm-hmm. you play along and you jump through the hoops that they're asking you to jump through or you lose credit scores and i mean i i don't know who exactly is looking for these specifically when they make these decisions like whether or not these people have i mean besides investors i'm just saying as consumers or as just a medical provider mm-hmm. um but i'm a, i guess they do uh another organization that plays a big role in ESG once again it emanated from the United Nations um, one of their committees I guess or, or one of their commissions or offices um, is the office for high commissioner for human rights um, that you mentioned in your piece focuses on LGBTQ it says the OOC the OHCHR promotes and monitors the implementation of human rights standards globally, including through mechanisms such as resolutions, treaties, bodies, and special rapporteurs. Um, OHCHR is working to, quote unquote, repeal laws criminalizing LGBT. I don't know what I means there, persons, also works to protect people from violence and discrimination on grounds of their sexual orientation, gender identity, and sex characteristics. I mean, interesting, and, and, you know, 
admirable principles, but like, how does that apply to any number of corporations? That's just it. I mean, and who, you know, with the different scoring systems, it's there's there's different numbers and different uh, criteria for depending on on who we're talking about with the with this one in particular. It's more of like, a, I mean, I guess they base it mainly on DEI scores, too. But it's mm-hmm. this this focus all of a sudden with the LGBTQ community. That's sort of alarming to me because I don't feel like that was something that um, number one, that represents a large number of people um, in the world. But the focus on that is sort of what drew my interest to it. That, and of course, the, the uh, different corporate uh, businesses that we've seen that who have signed on and have paid for it uh, with consumers not wanting to purchase their products. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all sort of the same similar idea, but just different factions and different uh, scoring systems, all of which uh, sort of circle around the same things, you know, as far as social uh, cues or social uh, movements. Actually, another one that is related to the UN and also the World Economic Forum, uh, the PGLE, um, <laughs> that would be the Partnership for Global LGBTQI Equality, Partner uh, has a partnership with the World Economic Forum. Um and they also seem quite uh, quite involved in all of this. They mentioned that their goal is to work around the world, not only in sharing best practices, um, but also showing strength in numbers with a platform on the World Economic Forum, the power of the UN, and finally, the strength of companies working together. Uh, when you combine the corporate ec- economies of these 14 countries that we're working with, we're bigger than a lot of com- countries. So we have tremendous power. Um, it seems like they, these and that's an interesting point uh, right. because it seems like these organizations are trying to legislate, right? Yeah, they're yep. trying to take on the role of legislatures and and mm-hmm. government policy and say, you know, historically and principally for the betterment of society and the welfare of the citizenry that are typically, you know, these are supposed to be passed by legislature le- legislators. Right. But instead, we're going to go ahead and kind of create these monitoring systems and criteria and essentially. You try to incentivize or disincentivize companies from engaging in this behavior, and nobody elected us. I mean, these are not legislators. They're, they're not accountable to anybody, um, but they seem to be pretty transparent in in that being their ultimate objective to take on yes. the role of legislature le- yes. legislators. Yeah, and then I saw that with the Human Rights Campaign, or, or even with PGLE, they meet at Davos, you know, with the World Economic Forum. They have like separate conferences and stuff every year with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, to your point, a lot of them are pretty open about it. Like, no, our our main goal is to get policies put into place that you know benefit a certain, depending on what it is. Mainly, it's DEI and and some of these you know other um, more social. Uh, things that we're seeing, but but these policies put in place on a on a state level, on a you know on a federal level, mm-hmm. that can change the fabric of of what we call society. So yeah, it's it's pretty scary, and the fact that they're so heavily involved with some of the you know main players, and to me that's the UN and the WF. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a really big deal to them. They have a huge interest in in this. So mm-hmm. it's you know to me, I try to look uh, you know beyond that and what. Why? And if it's all about just changing policy, it's not like you start taking your eye off the ball of what what it started on and what's supposed to be important. And then it starts being like, okay, how, you know, these people are moving these things in a certain way because they want a certain outcome. So what are their goals? Yeah. I mean, looking at their goals, I I do mostly just chalk it up to misguided do-gooderism. Um, I mean, you know, I'm looking at it, oh, population control and, and interfering with fertility. Well, why would they want less people that 
who are they, they need more. We you need to be above uh, the economy benefits when you're above the replacement fertility rate, right? I mean, reducing the fertility rate serves very few is, is economically proficient for very few businesses. I mean, I just think it's a, a bunch of you know wealthy, out of touch people who just have bad ideas about society, and they think these bad ideas uh, increase their credibility or make them good people who are fighting uh, the causes of oppression in the name of justice. Um, and you compound you you add that that that's the jet fuel that you add to the fire of them having power and then, then you get what's up in flames now you may be spot on with that you know to your point about um the the fertility and that kind of thing you know the un and and well mainly the wf but with the bill gates foundation and things like that there are certain areas where there's they're overpopulated as far as africa and you know obviously well but there's implementations that they've put into place to try to lower that in some areas with you know uh as far as family planning and birth control and stuff like that. So yes, I think that they do have an interest in that kind of thing, but you might be right. It may just be that they, they're so completely out of touch and they think that this is their, like their type of philanthropy that is morally. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, that's what you're seeing with middle management, right? The, the yeah. Bud Light administrators, those middle manager marketers, they want to get, okay, great, great example. Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. Yes. Um, it's tougher to gate because you now have to track um, magazine subscriptions versus digital downloads and digital digital views and whatnot. You know, it's harder to track um, what me, what what success or failure for a magazine. But with the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, you need to figure: okay, if less men want to buy it, it's it's going to be that that's a negative indicator for how it's doing, right? Um, and then you've got uh, you know they decide to go and put uh, a transgender uh, person in the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, uh, elderly woman with Mar Martha Stewart, and she looks amazing for her age, but she maybe. Does. Maybe not, you know, uh, uh, Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition level, um, put some plus size models in there. And you're thinking, what could be motivating this? Right. Then you go to the then you but then you go to the Instagram page of the editor of the Swimsuit Edition and you see that she's getting so many positive comments in her Instagram comment boxes. She's getting lauded and praised incessantly uh, over what a freedom fighter she is and you know how she's so so brave to go see new forms of beauty and highlight and promote them in the Swimsuit Edition. And you're looking at that and you're thinking, okay, well let's say that the Swimsuit Edition circulation went down 5, 7, 10%. She's going to sit there and still think she's doing a good job. Right. Because she's got so, so many psychophants and other phonies, other virtue signalers yep. that are hopping in her social media, telling her what a great job she's doing, that they, she can then go ahead and kind of brush off the fact that the economic results, straight economic results for her decisions aren't really that great. So I think yep. it's all moral cover. It's all moral deflection. Well, and we saw that with the Anheuser-Busch stuff too, right? She was the same kind of you know way where she thought that she was going to bring it back, which honestly, Bud Light at the time that she was brought on wasn't really doing that bad. They were about average where any other beer uh, yeah. company was at the time. We, we just got over COVID, that one thing for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so I mean, it's their opportunity, I guess, to virtue signal and to feel like they're doing something great for a small amount of people. But you're right. I mean, they do get... They do get the right uh, pat on the back from what they're looking for, I guess, and it may mm -hmm. cost them their job in the end. But um, yeah, it's it's cost a couple people. I don't know. We're gonna have to see if if a handful of anvils coming down on some mid level marketing executives who you know engage in these initiatives or or you know 
formulate these initiatives that get backlash, whether that's enough to scare off the rest of the industry, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit more selective and slower moving there. Um, so I'm not entirely optimistic. Um, but hey, it, it is encouraging to at least see some backlash that's having some tangible results. And while you don't want to see anybody lose their job, I am sorry. You know, if you stray from the if you stray from the corporate principles, if you want to lecture, speak down, and scold a traditional customer base of a brand, um, you can't you can't be surprised if that has negative career consequences for you. Um, Haley wrote this piece: corporate back blackmail, ESG, and the woke social credit score system. Um, Haley, anything else from that piece that you think would be you know key to our understanding of ESG scores, um, how they've come about, and what their impact are? I just think it's definitely something to keep an eye on because though it's been um, in we it's been around for a little while. I think the more and more corporations that uh, realize that if they're going to be competitive at all, that they're going to have to play these games and try to fit into these you know little uh, different criteria. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how many will will fight against it or will fall off and not you know uh, be a part of the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean. I think what what is it? It's only about maybe 13, 14 years. Am I correct that it originated in two thousand nine with the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Right, that was the right. First but real you didn't ESG really scores. hear about it much, though. So. Yeah, but as yeah. far as just hearing about it in mainstream, you know, nobody really heard much about it until around twenty fourteen or so. Yep. Uh, yep. And people yep. started sort of talking about it, but yeah. So I don't know. It's it's something to keep your eye on because you know when you're seeing this influx of different things uh, that you maybe didn't expect to see from you know x company whichever is your your favorite brand mm -hmm. um it's something to to remember that they're not obviously they're not uh yeah i mean so what when you're sitting there and trying to analyze what what if there's a brand that you like that seems to be engaging in campaigns that really have no relation to their business that seem to be running against the the values that they have traditionally um, even very recently seem to have championed and things of that nature and wondering if if there's something I don't want to say sinister because that's once again I, I think the people that are that make this monocausal that say hey the only reason that these companies are engaging in these woke marketing campaigns is because of ESG scores I think that's giving it a little bit too too much credit but this is definitely one one of the the uh, factors that's kind of, sh you know, shifting the tides that's guiding the boats in a, di in a different direction. Well, and if you like, if we take Bud Light again as an example, that's one in a billion where this, you know, showed enough of an impact for them to go, whoa, okay, hold on. You know, it's so hard to get mm -hmm. enough people behind one. When I see these different boycotting campaigns, it sounds great, you know, but when you first started out, you were saying, you know, nobody really wants to change up these things that they've know and trust they want and to want to switch are used their to brands. Yeah. 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 So it's like a boycott might work for this one situation, but people, consumers and people just day to day are there. A lot of people are just lazy. They don't want to take the extra time to, to try to do what they know is the right thing. It's easier just to go ahead and give them your money and keep it, you know. So what does that say about, you know, their their goals as far as trying to um, count out to, to just a certain uh, population? They don't, they don't care because at the end of the day, I think a lot of people are going to continue to buy the product anyway. And even if they don't agree with, you know, what they're seeing, it's just there's so many corporations that have signed on to these the ESG and, and all, all the different ones that, you know, where do you... Where do you draw the line? I mean, it's going to get to the point where there's if you've got I don't know if it's beer or if it's, you know, a, a clothing company where they're all signed on to this thing. Like I just North Face, that one sort of surprised me. <laughs> um, They've been doing this for a few years. North yeah. Face has had strange 
just odd, peculiar, like, I, I, listen, you want to go put a, there's a very, there are many very easy ways to acknowledge um, Pride Month or to show some support for the, the gay community. I mean, the way that North Face has decided to do it with putting really strange, peculiar, gender bending people very front and center and promoting their products. And I think it really, like, it took, it, it, it took back, uh, it took back a lot of people. Um, yeah. But yeah, this isn't, but here's the thing. They obviously haven't seen enough negative impact on their business. They stopped doing it because this was not the first year. Right. They've done this for a few years now. So once right. again, the idea that this automatically triggers a backlash is a fallacy. It's only recently started to trigger backlash. We'll have to see um, if this cascade continues. But right. um, yeah, I think this is something that's been going on. It has been more prevalent than people have really noticed. It's been simmering yeah. under the surface and is now finally reaching general consciousness. Um, but as you mentioned, something that we're definitely going to have to keep in mind as people, uh, Hey, uh, the, the business, uh, uh, the business of America is business and, uh, a, a, our commun consumer choices and the way that our corporations act is definitely a big part of our life, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Um, so this was a fantastic piece. Uh, Haley, maybe you could tell everybody where they can find you and your work on the internet. Uh, yeah, I'm at wrongspeak.net. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at at Lady Kennington, and there's a link tree there that you can uh, follow to to get more of my links. But yeah, I would check out Wrong Speak, um, and I really appreciate you having me on, Matt. Thank you. My pleasure. And yes, ESG scores, uh, everybody, it's been in the news a lot recently, been on everybody's mind. I hope that this was clarifying and understanding where it emanates from, what its actual impact is, and, and also that uh, some people just to, to caution some people in going a little too far in trying to ascribe this as the 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 kind of univariate uh, uh, singular cause to everything that's going on right now. It's definitely a big cause, but but be hesitant to describe, ascribe it as the only one, um, but a very uh, rich and confusing topic because you start getting getting into connecting the dots here in the web and, and, and the various uh, acronym organizations and it gets uh, uh, it gets a little cloudy so I'm hoping we provided some clarity here today Haley uh, thank you once again for joining us I am Matt Belinsky. Once again, you can listen and subscribe to The Prevailing Narrative on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to follow me on my socials at Matt Belinsky, M-A-T-T-B-I-L-I-N-S-K-Y. Thanks once again so much, everybody. This is The Prevailing Narrative. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.